Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. Before I begin, I want to say thank you to Doug Campbell and Reg W, my two newest patrons. I also want to say you should check out the Two Idiots podcast, which is a fantastic podcast from two Canadians who look at our culture in a variety of ways. And I was also on that podcast just a few weeks ago, and I had a great time, so check it out. If you like, you can support my podcast for only $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking Donate. Don't forget, I have two other podcasts out there, Pucks and Cups and From John to Justin. Both these podcasts are now reaching the end of their run, and I have two new podcasts coming along in May and June. One is about the First World War and Canada's role in it, and the second is about the Transcontinental Railway. So, I'll be doing more information about those as they get nearer. Today I'm looking at the history of Prince George, British Columbia. And as usual, when I look at the history of a community, I'm not going to be doing a chronological history, but more looking at the various aspects of the history that I find interesting. So, let's begin. The Indigenous Prince George currently sits on the traditional land of the Lele Tene people, whose name means people of two rivers, relating to the Fraser and Achaco rivers that intersect northeast of downtown Prince George. Archaeological evidence shows they've inhabited the area for as much as 9,000 years. Within the Lele Tene people, there are several clans including the Frog, Bear, Grouse, and Beaver. As the earliest inhabitants of the area, they were the first to meet Simon Fraser when he founded Fort George while exploring the Fraser River in 1807, and Alexander Mackenzie when he came through in 1793. Their original village site is located at the Lele Tene Memorial Park in the community. And the park was originally named Fort George Park until 2015. In 1913, their village was cleared and the indigenous were relocated to a reserve nearby. And today, Prince George sits on Treaty 8 land, which was signed in 1899. Fort George The origin of Prince George comes from the Northwest Company, the company that established a trading post called Fort George in 1807. Simon Fraser, who I mentioned founded the fort, named it in honor of King George III. Fort George would continue to operate throughout the 1800s and was an important part of the fur trade in the northern portion of British Columbia, 
although Fort St. James tended to be the main trading post for the area. The fort would continue to be important locally, but was ignored provincially and nationally for some time. Even when the Collins Overland Telegraph Trail was built in 1865 to 1867, it bypassed Fort George completely. Things would begin to change in the early 1900s and Fort George would see its name changed and its importance increase throughout the new century. The Founding of the Community In 1903, Fort George would see the arrival of the Grand Trunk Pacific Railway, or at least rumors that the railroad would be arriving. Around this time, speculators began to look towards the best location for a town, and rival speculation companies would set up South Fort George and Central Fort George. South Fort George was built near the trading post, while Central Fort George was built three kilometers away to the northwest. Both of these communities were involved in a heated rivalry to have a station constructed when the railway did arrive. By the fall of 1909, developers in both of these small communities had street plans surveyed and lots were made available to purchase in 1910. South Fort George actually began to do quite well, as George Hammond advertised the community all over Canada and England, and he stated the community had mild winters and was suitable for all types of agriculture except growing peaches. Grand Trunk Pacific, for its part, was not happy about this. They did not want other developers capitalizing off of them, and they decided they would set up their own site. The company purchased 553 hectares of land from the Fort George Indian Reserve in 1912 at a cost of $125,000 or $2.9 million today. The site would serve as the future downtown area of Prince George. As the railroad approached, the two communities began to boom with 1,500 people combined as construction workers came to the towns for supplies and for entertainment. Now when the railroad purchased the land from the reserved, they purchased it before Charles Vance Miller, the owner of the BC Express Company, who was planning on buying some. To compensate him, he was given 200 acres of the property. And all of this meant that by 1914, there were four communities surrounding the area, South Fort George, Central Fort George, Miller Addition, and the town site the railroad had purchased. George Hammond would actually take the railroad to court in a series of legal challenges, but he would lose, and Prince George would be incorporated on March 6, 1915. As for the name and why it became Prince George, there's a few theories on that. One is that the railway wanted to distinguish from the Fort George communities, they wanted to honour King George V, and they wanted to honour Prince George, Duke of Kent, the fourth child of the king. Prince George would not actually see its population rise as the construction of the railway was halted due to the First World War, and then the Spanish flu hit in 1918. It was not until the 1930s that Prince George saw significant growth, and that was thanks to Army Camp Prince George, which I will get to in the next section. The Army Arrives when the World War broke out in 1939, Prince George saw a sudden lease on life. Army Camp Prince George was opened, housing 6,000 soldiers. For several years, troops with the 16th Infantry Brigade was housed at the camp, which included barracks, dining halls, and wet canteens. In addition, the camp featured rifle ranges, mortar ranges, and artillery ranges. At the end of the war, the camp was demolished, with some buildings moving to new locations. 
Some of the buildings used in the camp now have new leases on life in the city, including as a bottle depot, the home for the Community Arts Council, and a store. The war would have another benefit for Prince George that would see its growth skyrocket. With so many cities in Europe destroyed by the war, the demand for lumber went way up. And for Prince George, that was good news, and its sawmills were kept busy, and the sounds of lumber crews could be heard in the hills around the city. In 1952, the Pacific Great Eastern Railway was completed, and it would join the Canadian National Line with Prince George. The 1956 Plane Crash In the evening of June 25, 1956, around 7 p.m., a Lockheed P-38 Lightning fighter plane left the Prince George Airport and was soon seen flying in an unsafe manner. Witnesses on the ground say the plane did a half roll, then fell over on its back and nosedived into a ravine one kilometer from the city. The plane was flown by Frank Pinn, who had served in the Royal Air Force as a transport command pilot, and with him was Jimmy Clark, a 15-year-old passenger. In the investigation of the crash, it was found that Pinn died through, quote, his own neglect and a complete disregard for the aeronautical regulations of Canada, end quote. Testimony would reveal that Pinn had been drinking just prior to the flight, and many felt that he was unfit to fly. The inquest found that Pinn was flying far below the 1,000-foot minimum level, reaching as low as 150 feet in some cases. He had then passed over the airport, and witnesses said he approached the administrative building at a height of no more than 20 feet. Many were surprised by the actions of Pinn, who had over 4,000 hours of flying experience and had flown over 20 different types of planes. The Downtown Walking Tour A great way to explore a community is through a walking tour. Not only do you get some great exercise, you also discover the history of the community firsthand. Prince George has a walking tour available through their website, and that allows you to see the history of the city. I'll go through some of the more notable places you can see on the tour. Ensha Guna, or He Too Lives, is located at Prince George City Hall and is a piece of art that speaks of the history and the land of the community. Made by two indigenous artists, it is a canoe carved out of a cottonwood tree, which was placed on the site in 2012. And on the art piece, there are 11 life-sized regional fish showcased. While it's now gone, you can see the former site of the Prince George Hotel, built in the early 20th century, and it was the first business to operate on George Street. Initially serving as a bar, its business was shut down until 1919 due to the prohibition in British Columbia. Unfortunately, business would continue to suffer for several years, but to hide that fact, J.H. Johnson, the owner and mayor of Prince George from 1922 to 1923, had a shipment of cars brought in from his dealerships, and he parked them around the hotel to make it look busy. In 2011, the building was demolished. The 3rd Avenue mural was painted by Milan Basic in 2011 and completed two years later. Using latex paint and spray paint, it measures at 70 feet wide and 15 feet high. Basic also painted the Canada Games mural that is on display in the community, which was painted in 2012 to celebrate the 2015 Canada Winter Games. The mural measures 27 feet high and 20 feet wide. Built in 1948 in an Art Deco style with a rounded entry and evenly spaced windows, Mason's Cafe on 3rd Avenue still operates in the city. 
On the opening day of the business in 1949, the owner gave out free ice cream to local children and apparently tore a ligament in his shoulder after scooping 300 hard ice cream cones. Today, it is Mason's Steak and Chops, and it has been selected by En Route Magazine as one of the best restaurants in all of Canada. The Corliss House on 4th Avenue was built in 1917 and is one of the few remaining historic houses in the city. Owned by Richard Corliss, who worked for the Santa Ford Undertakers at the time, he suddenly found himself in charge of the business when the Santa Ford family fled during the Spanish flu. Tom Corliss, his son, who was 11 years old at the time, would drive a Ford Model T ambulance to pick up the bodies of the deceased. The family continued to operate the business until 1936, and they moved out of the house in 1947. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Exploration Place Museum and Science Center If you want to learn about history and science in the community, you can check out the Exploration Place Museum and Science Center. Located in Lele Tene Memorial Park, there are several exhibits to visit including a paleontology exhibit, one dedicated to the indigenous, and a children's gallery. There's also a two-foot narrow-gauge Fort George Railway that includes a working steam locomotive. And in the facility you will find the Prince George Sports Hall of Fame. So far, the Hall of Fame has inducted 75 individuals across 24 sports, including the Prince George Mohawks that won the Senior A Provincial Championship four times in six years in the 1970s, as well as several NHL players such as Jason LaBarbera and Darcy Rhoda. The Prince George Railway and Forestry Museum For anyone who loves railroads, and really who doesn't, then the Prince George Railway and Forestry Museum is a great place to check out. The museum is home to several locomotives, running stock and heritage railway buildings that are open for visitors to explore. There are also pieces of rail lines that were used through central British Columbia including the Grand Trunk Pacific Railway and the Canadian National Railway as well as BC Rail. On the forestry side of things, there are artifacts from decades ago from the forest industry, including a 46-foot-high beehive burner from the local sawmill. The museum itself began in 1983 as a preservation society to restore a 1903 wooden Russell snowplow. In 1984, the city gave the society 6.5 acres for a museum site, and it officially opened its doors in 1986, and in 1989, it began to include forestry within the museum. 
The Queen Visits If you listen to a few of my local history podcasts, one thing I love is covering when someone famous comes to a community. For Prince George on August 17, 1994, one of the most famous individuals in the world arrived, Queen Elizabeth II. She was on hand to open the University of Northern British Columbia, and she would tell the huge gathered crowd, quote, The concept of this university is no less exciting than the land in which it is set. You are fortunate to learn and teach in such a matchless setting. End quote. She would also paraphrase the Lord of the Rings, stating, quote, This is the hour of the northern people, when we arise from our quiet forest to shake towers and councils of the great. End quote. And now I'm sure a moment that all of us have been waiting for, Your Majesty. Chancellor, Premier, thank you for your welcome. I was told that I was to see a spectacular campus here at the University of Northern British Columbia. I have indeed, and you are fortunate to learn and teach in such a matchless setting. The concept of this university is no less exciting than the land in which it is set. To create a new university with operations stretching throughout northern British Columbia requires vision and courage. I extend my heartfelt congratulations to all those involved. At the event, there was an Indigenous dance and a choir sang God Save the Queen. Also, while in the community, Queen Elizabeth II opened the new Prince George Civic Center and she was presented a toy logging truck by the city. Of course, this was not the only visit to Prince George by a member of the royal family. In 1983, Prince Charles and Princess Diana were in the community as well. Mr. P.G. One interesting aspect of Prince George is Mr. P.G., a mascot and monument for the community. Built in 1960, it was originally created to serve as a symbol of the importance of the forestry industry in the city. And while its height has changed, today it stands at 26.7 feet tall, with a head that is nearly 5 feet in diameter, and it was officially unveiled on May 8, 1960 at a Rotary International Conference. Later that year, it took part in the May Day Parade and had the ability to speak and bow. The man behind the creation of this mascot was Harold Moffat, who would be mayor of Prince George from 1970 to 1979. He believed the community needed a mascot to promote its forestry industry in a style similar to that of Paul Bunyan in Oregon. In 1961, Mr. P.G. would take part in the Kelowna Regatta and the Vancouver P&E Parade. In 1963, it was part of the Grey Cup Parade. It finally came to its current spot in 1970, where it's remained since then. The city of Prince George trademarked Mr. P.G. in 1985. It's been featured in a song by Al Simmons, and in 2009, 
Canada Post featured him on a stamp. I'm going to end this episode with some of that song. Manhattan's got the Empire State Frisco's got its Golden Gate Paris has the Eiffel Tower Big Ben chimes each London hour China's famous for its wall India, the Taj Mahal The CN Tower may be tall But Mr. P.G. Tops them all A Mr. PG A Mr. PG In Prince George, British Columbia Tourist dollars were fleeting Some years ago I'll have you know They had a town hall meeting They needed something distinctive Something novel, something new to make the tourists stop a while instead of just passing through. Mr. I hope you enjoyed that episode, and if you did, please leave a rating and review. If you like, you can reach me through email at craigcanadaehx.com. You can also visit my website where you'll find hundreds of articles on Canada's history as well as all my podcast episodes. Just go to canadaehx.com. And don't forget, you can support the podcast through Patreon. There are multiple tiers to choose from, all with great benefits. You can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month, just like all of these wonderful patrons have, and I apologize if I mispronounce any names. Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Randall McCallum, Diane Wade, Lorianne Kirby, Gary Dolovich, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rawa, Luke S., J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. If you want, you can find me on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash CanadianHistoryX. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And you can find me on Instagram. Just go to Bairdo37. Thanks. We'll see you again next time.